staying sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Sir, 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 we're not going to speculate here of the cause of something which we don't know. Oh, no, no, reparations are a great idea. If you have observations, if you have observations or you know something, we would love to hear it. We had them, and it's bogus. Renovation, you know, what's that all about? This issue has been brought up over and over again, and it's bogus. So anybody who says we need reparations for slavery is pretending that there was no affirmative action. And now, Stacey Washington. Wow. Okay. We are going to get into that discussion about reparations and so much more. Right now, let's go to the phones and chat with, um, we have a couple callers, Patrick in Virginia. Hey, thanks for calling the show today. Welcome to the program. Oh, I'm not hearing anything. Patrick, welcome to the show. Yes. Hello. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Um, this kind of what I've been listening to on the radio is that a lot of the right-wing radio hosts really seem to just ignore that French officials have said they ruled out arson. They strongly believe it was an accident from the renovation work, which they were renovating right under the fire. It's like they really, truly want to believe it was a Muslim that did this. Have you yeah, read yeah, the? Uh, wait a minute, Patrick. Have you read the other stories, the the other posts about the other churches all during Holy Week, leading up to Holy Week, um, in France that yes, have been I vandalized? Have. And and yeah. so you don't think yeah. it's reasonable for people to discuss that there may be other ideas around what happened there. The fire was in two places at the same time, so it wasn't one place and spread. The fire actually started in two separate parts of the roof at the same time, five minutes after they closed. And you don't think it's reasonable for people to just discuss what it could be? I'm one with French officials, but also at the same time, in America, the past couple of weeks, we've had three historically black churches burned down no mention of it on right-wing radio, but they've arrested a white supremacist. Hmm. Okay, so again, so someone's been arrested already? Wait a minute, Patrick. Someone's already been arrested? So we we have a resolution. So we have a resolution to those fires. So what is there, what's left to discuss? A white supremacist has been arrested. He's going to be tried for the crime, and if he's convicted, he'll pay the price for doing the the vandalism to those churches for attacking them. So... What, what more do right-wing radio hosts need to say? Because I, I wonder, do you call people who are on the left, like MSNBC, CNN, do you call them left-wing TV hosts, or do you just call them TV hosts? MSNBC would be left-wing. But do you call them that? Because you said right-wing in a very pejorative well, way a number of times during this single call that you've made. You seem really obsessed with saying right-wing as if it's a bad thing. I'm happy to be on the right. The name of the show is Stacy on the Right. If okay. you're listening to it, you know what That's you're getting. right-wing radio. There isn't really that much left-wing radio. It's the it doesn't matter. Word. It doesn't matter. When you refer to people it who are on matter. the left, it do you does. call them left-wing? You don't because you're, you're, you're on the and left yourself, the and you yeah. absolutely don't have any, 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 any call to call them on their own. You, Patrick is a hypocrite because he would only call someone on the right, right wing, but he wouldn't call someone on the left, left wing. So he's coming from the left. And what he wants to do is have people on the right. He wants to simultaneously attack people on the right and call them on the carpet for things that he doesn't like while giving everyone on the left a pass. 
And I don't think that's fair. I think Patrick should call them left wing as well. And I'm perfectly fine with him calling and asking questions or not agreeing with what I'm saying here. But shouldn't he be fair to people on the left and hold them accountable as well? Oh, I'm sorry. He can't do that because left wingers fail a lot. And if he was holding them accountable, he wouldn't have time to do anything else. That's too bad. All right, let's go to Randy in Mississippi. Hey, Randy, thanks for calling the show today. Hey, Miss Stacy, how are you? Pretty good. How are you doing? Well, don't get lost. First of all, Patrick's wrong. Uh, I learned about those three churches <laughs> in Louisiana being burnt from mm-hmm. right wing radio, and it was a son of a sheriff, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's true. But anyway, that's, true. That ain't why, that's not why I called. Number one, I wanted to I agree with your opinion. Uh, we're never going to know, especially from over there. Number two, can you and Candace Owens run on the 2024 ticket? Are y'all oh old goodness. enough? Yeah, I, I am. She's At not. Present? She's 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 not old enough to run. Oh, and second of on. all, I Randy, well, I'm look, trying to get her on the show. I'm trying to get her on the show. I have not been you? successful. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I want to talk um, to her on the show. God bless I'm, her I'm a too. fan. Look, all you got to do is lie, look, lie about her age and fake her birth certificate like they would on the left if she was a Democrat. That's what they do. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> get her in. <laughs> anyway, thank you for uh, your program and bless you very much. Uh-huh. Thank you. Thanks, Randy. I appreciate the call. I so first of all, I don't I don't want to run for president, and I'm pretty sure she doesn't either. But she possibly maybe you know so since she is so young, she's 20. If I'm if I'm correct, she's 28 years old. So that means in another 10 years after she's finished conquering television because she's doing the uh, Candace Owens show on YouTube with Dennis Prager's Prager U um, and she's done all these speaking engagements and stuff like that. She'll, she'll probably be ready by the time she hits the age where you have to. Oh, no, wait, it's not 38. I think you have to be 45, don't you? You have to be 40? Somewhere in there. You have to be somewhere in your 40s to run for the presidency. So she's got a ways to go. But um, yeah, I, all I'm hoping for is that at some point I get to meet her and she'll agree to come on the show. That's what I'm, that's what I'm hoping for. Um, so let's, let's get into this reparations discussion. First, I want you to hear from Dr. John McWhorter. He's talking about reparations and I, I rarely hear someone who is openly a Democrat because he goes through this, the, the person from Reason Magazine and Reason is a libertarian organization Ask him, where do you fall politically? People call you a lot of different things. And he explains that he is a he's a he's a Democrat, a liberal Democrat. That's after this part of the clip. But I listened to the whole thing because I wanted to have a context with which to uh, kind of place his ideas and what he shares about reparations. So I listened to the whole interview and then I came back. It's like 35 or 39 minutes long. Then I came back and chose these two pieces for us to talk about here on the show. So let me give you the call lines. It's 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. Here's Dr. John McWhorter. He's been asked where he falls, what does he think about this idea uh, from the Democrats coming from Tennessee Coates and some book he wrote about reparations and how it's a key aspect of the 2020 race. It's number four. Oh, no, no. Reparations are a great idea. We had them. So anybody who says we need reparations for slavery is pretending that there was no affirmative action or that there was no Community Reinvestment Act of 1977. And you know I could go on and on and on. And so the question just becomes, is it that you think that those things didn't work and there need to be new reparations that would, in which case the question becomes, what do you think would work? Mm. And in this whole debate, it's considered somehow beside the point to make people specify, what do you think would work? What new policies would work? Okay, you're gonna put money into certain organizations in order that they do what? And to the extent that it's considered 
kind of spoiling the party to ask those questions, it reveals that what we're talking about is religion. It's scriptural to say what we need is reparations. It's a variation on saying that America needs to come to terms with race without specifying what the terms are or even what you're talking about. What terms? What event, what human interaction are we referring to? You're not supposed to ask any more than you're supposed to ask about Judgment Day or the rapture. This is genuinely a religion. Now, the new idea about reparations is, what well, one idea always has been, but the one that I sense people are focusing on now, is that you put money into the bank accounts of anybody who is black to make up for the wealth that was denied their ancestors. Now, again, he says he's fine with reparations, and then he goes into this idea, and, and it's, it's, not, it's not just an idea, it's the truth. Um, some, so, so different groups have had reparations given to them in different ways, from Jewish people because of the Holocaust to uh, Japanese who were interned during the internment camps during the war um, to American Indians who their reparations come in the form of the reservations and not having to pay American tax, and then you have black Americans. What he is saying there, and he doesn't go into a long list because he's, he's basically giving you the clue, look it up for yourself, which I did, and, it, and it's a, a, an extensive list. Now, before you come on, you know, call or, or email me and say, you hate yourself because you're black and you don't want reparations, that's not it at all. First of all, I don't hate myself. Second of all, um, I am against reparations because it, it is a continuation of the idea that white people are responsible for where black people are in America today. Right. The blacks and the whites who were alive during the Civil War and directly afterwards. Yes, we are the you know, the progeny of those people. If you're not a recent immigrant, if you're a black person who traces their lineage back to, you know, the Civil War or before um, or, you know, any of that, then, you know, that you're descended from those people. And so you have the benefit because I, I, I love when people talk about the negatives. I'm descended from slaves. So therefore I've only had negatives, but you're descended from slaves. So you are also one of the 40 million or so blacks in America who you, you don't still live on the continent of Africa. Just take a peek over there and see what's going on. First of all, you wouldn't be a Christian because most of them are Muslims. The ones who are Christians have to suffer through. It's, it's just not even close to the experience that we have here in America. Now, they're blessed because they're alive and they get to change their destiny, as we all do here on this earth, because we have free will given to us by God. But are you telling me you'd rather that you were over there right now in 2019 instead of being here in America? I wouldn't. So the point to that is there have already been reparations for black Americans. In addition to affirmative action, uh, the Community Reinvestment Act, the things he mentioned, I'll just give you a few others. Um, forgiveness of student loan debt that's geared specifically towards black and, and uh, historically black colleges and universities, unemployment aid, housing assistance to protect families from mortgage fraud. These are, these are things that are geared towards the black community. Because if you're listening to that and thinking, well, white people got that too, under different programs. But I'm talking about the stuff that's geared to specifically towards black Americans. Support for HBCUs, additional help for child care costs. This is stuff that you get if you're black. Project-based rental assistance program, $10 billion provided by the federal government. That's an ongoing program that's still funded. Increased Pell Grants, meaning you show up black on the application, you get more Pell Grant. Uh, there's more Pell Grant money available to you than it is if you're a white person. Housing Choice Voucher Programs, fund to prevent hunger and, and improve nutrition. General assistance from the Community Development Block Grant Program, which he, me he mentioned. 
and so many others. So I could sit here and just read off the programs for an hour, but that's not going to help us here because there are people out there who hear me talking about this right now and they're thinking, well, so you're saying reparations for black people comes in the form of government programs. Well, let's say back whenever it was the time for reparations and it was 40 acres and a mule or, you know, a a blank check for $10,000, which back then is a king's ransom back when we're talking about the time, the time when reparations would have originally been paid. You're saying that these ongoing government programs, which the funding for those is up into the multiple billions, still isn't enough. And that is what the people who are asking for reparations are saying. They're saying whatever the government has already given, whatever has been paid, whatever programs have been set up, whatever... Uh, affirmative action has been given, which uh, honestly, if you look at the way affirmative action works right now, it was set up for black Americans. Read some of Ann Coulter's uh, writing on this. It's, she, she explains it so well. It's now being used by almost every group. So it was supposed to be set up to help blacks after uh, reconstruction. And, and it's not, it's not helping. It's not exclusively helping black people. Actually, I think it's detrimental because you show up to work and your coworkers think you're there because of affirmative action when you have the same educational background that they have. You have a similar work experience history or something. You beat someone out legitimately, but you show up black and everyone just says, oh, you're affirmative action, right? So before we get to the calls, I want to listen to this last little bit. And he makes such a good point here because um, I find that when I look at his other work, I disagree with Dr. McWhorter on a lot of different things. But on this particular instance, it just struck a chord with me because he's going to walk you through how it works if they decide to write a check to every black American who can trace their lineage back to slavery here in America. So not every black American, but only the ones who can trace their lineage back. They write a check. And then what happens? Okay, listen to that. I'm out of I'm out of I hate that. Okay, when we get back, we actually have our guest and then we will get back to this topic. You'll hear that audio. We'll take calls. Hang on. More Stacey on the right after this. I wanted to have the abortion because I was trying to hide a situation. When a young mom in crisis walks into a preborn pregnancy center, she's welcomed with open arms and given love, support, and a free ultrasound to meet her unborn baby. This young woman not only chose life for her baby, but heard the message of Jesus Christ and was comforted from the guilt and pain that plagued her. Preborn centers lead the nation in providing free ultrasounds. When an abortion-minded woman sees her baby on ultrasound, she's 80% more likely to choose life for her baby. For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds, and 100% of your sponsorship goes towards saving babies. To find out more, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. 
Your love can save a life. Hello, this is Bishop Harry Jackson of Hope Christian Church in Beltville, Maryland. Jesus said you would do greater works than he did. You and I need to understand there comes a time where you need to take those two old oxen that you've been riding on forever and you feel comfortable knowing how to do this thing that you do day to day and God's stirring something unique and different in you and it's confirmed. Big decisions require big confirmations. It's confirmed by spiritual authorities in your life, leaders and those who are around you that tell you and help you to understand what the will of God is. Those people say it's time to go and you don't go. My friend, you forfeit something. Do you realize that uh, in the book of Jonah, there's a passage there that is very powerful. It says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Those who cling to worthless, fruitless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. So often we won't burn the plow and give up the thing that's tangible. And God says, you know what? I've got something more for you, Harry Jackson, than you've ever thought before. I've got a place of happiness, harmony for you and your family that is better than you've ever known before. I've got a place in my will that is the safest place on the planet if you just reach out and do my will. Join us this Sunday morning at 6251 Amondale Road in Beltsville or on the web at thehopeconnection.org. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Hey, welcome back to the program. People are on uh, the live stream talking about how the callers, whenever they call in, they sound like they're inside of a drum. And so I was just pointing out that, you know, God bless the technology, y'all. I am live streaming to you all over the world. We have people who watch the live stream in Great Britain and Thailand and places like that. And then the syndicator is in Tupelo, Mississippi, and I'm in the Midwest. And so we all of that comes together through high speed Internet and you have a show and people get to watch it all over and listen to it on 189 affiliates across the country, 35 states, 800 communities. And that doesn't even include the live stream audiences or the people who listen on iTunes or to the podcast at AFR.net, UrbanFamilyTalk.com or any of the other places like uh, uh, Google Play, um, the iTunes store on Apple. Um, I mean, it, it just sometimes it boggles my mind how we're doing all of this. And so sometimes, uh, obviously, it sounds differently when you're listening, especially sometimes the audio is a little wonky. Sometimes it's beautiful weather outside and the internet isn't running well on the inside. So just bear with us. Always keep us in your prayers for what we're doing here because I just think it's fantastic that we can do the kind of things we can do. And God makes that possible. And also, my boss is over at AFR and Urban, Will Addison and uh, Jim Stanley. Those guys make a lot of stuff happen, cool stuff that I'm really grateful to be a part of. So uh, I want to welcome our next guest to the program. We have Ed Condon. He's one of the editors at Catholic News Agency. Ed, thank you for taking time out with us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. 
All right, so let's talk about this real quick. I know you have multiple hits today because this story is so fresh. First off, I've been taken to task because I feel like the spate of church fires has something to do with uh, Muslim immigration, and that may be false. It may have nothing to do with that. Um, The French authorities are saying that this fire at the Notre Dame Cathedral actually has to do with construction. Uh, What do we know? Well, we know that the fire seems to have originated where renovation work was ongoing, which is right around the spire of the cathedral in the roof. Um, you know, it's a it's an eight nine hundred year old wooden roof that was up there. You know, the the oaks of an entire forest, famously. So this is we're talking about a very flammable set of materials um, in a very hard to reach place for firefighters. So really, in that case, in that sense, it's sort of a perfect storm if, if you have an accident, which is very possible. But it really is too soon to say what the um, what the starting point was, whether it was accident or anything else. All right. I I can accept that. And for my part, I've been saying what I think it is, which is my opinion, which means I could be wrong. Right. (laughs) I don't have any evidence to support it. Um, But I'm concerned that we saw ISIS out They put out a statement saying they're celebrating. It's a punishment. Um, And I'm also concerned that there were other fires and vandalism at churches in France leading up to Holy Week. What what do we know about those? Well, actually, there have been, for about two months now, through February and March, there have been a spate of vandalisms and church desecrations in France, statues smashed, um, altars overturned. Uh, in fact, there was, on the on the 5th of February, I think it was, there was another minor cathedral in south-central France where uh, altar cloths were set on fire. Uh, this, this is something that's been ongoing in France for a number of weeks now, but Again, unfortunately, we don't really know who's behind it. There hasn't been, as far as I'm aware, any public attempt to take credit for it. Um, it it's not clear whether uh, who who's behind it. This is a coordinated campaign. If this is something that's happening more gradually and spontaneously, um, we really don't know. Uh, and of course, all of this is set within a much wider context of what's been some very protracted civil unrest in France right now. The mm-hmm. the Gilets Jaunes protests. Um, have not exactly been getting more uh, relaxed as the months have gone on. Indeed, they seem to have been intensifying. Yeah, and I saw a piece by Newsweek, one of the few I could find in American media, that actually discussed the spate of church fires that you've just outlined there. And they actually draw a connection between the vandalism in the churches in France and uh, feminists and people who connect the church to the patriarchy and control over women by white men, um, anti-religion people, so they're secularists, and they're saying they're the ones who are responsible for these uh, the 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 lead up to the fire at Notre Dame. Well, it's certainly possible. I'm not aware of any definitive proof one way or the other, but um, we certainly have seen in other parts of the world um, hardline secularist attacks on church buildings, attempting to, to desecrate them or otherwise deface them. So it's certainly a possibility. So that means we don't know anything definitively other than we know the church was it, it, it somehow lit on fire and it has been severely damaged. What do we know about the possibility of putting it back together and within you know our adult lifetimes? Because if you're an adult and you're over 40, you're thinking, if it takes 30 years to fix, will, will we even see it? Like, will we see it repaired? Well, certainly, that's the great unanswered question right now. President Macron of France has said that he hopes to see work begin as soon as possible, and he'd ideally like to see um, the cathedral reopened in some way, shape, or form within five years. Wow. Seems like a very ambitious timetable for anyone who saw the images yesterday. But what we do know is that the main structure of the cathedral appears to be sound, and this is something that was by no means a foregone conclusion yesterday. 
Uh, there was a point where the, the flames were spreading to the North Bell Tower, and there was a significant concern that if the main bells were to break free or melt or fall through the fabric of the building, this could wipe out the, the structural integrity of the whole building. Um, but it really does seem that despite the, the images we saw yesterday and the loss of the roof, the stone vault inside has largely held, and the interior of the building is largely intact. That's what I... Uh... <laughs> That's what's been so fascinating to me is that in the images, the live stream of the blaze showed, I mean, the smoke billowing up taller than the Eiffel Tower, which, I mean, that's saying something. That's a mega structure that's nearby that you can see in the background as it burns. The smoke is billowing up. It's changing colors. And it just looks as if any second the entire thing is going to come down. Yet pictures from today show the interior portion at the back is burned. The gold cross remains. But the sides of the structure, even going up, there are even some candles still sitting there untouched that are mounted to the walls. And so there's no roof, but the the stones that are stacked on top of each other that obviously they're mortared together and they're huge stones, those are sitting almost as if nothing has happened. That's right. Um, it's famously um, one of the great artistic treasures of the fabric of the cathedral itself are its three rose stained glass windows, which everyone almost immediately gave up as lost for sure when they saw the, the progress of the fire yesterday. But in fact, all three of them have remained intact, which is you know nothing short of inexplicable, um, unless you want to call it a miracle. Yeah, uh, between the heat of the fire and then the vigorous firefighting effort pumping you know thousands of gallons of water into the building, and somehow even the most delicate stained glass work has remained intact. Yeah, I, I, I love calling it a miracle because it seems like it's something to give us hope. Um, I, I'm, I'm not actually Catholic, but I think seeing the cross afterwards, one of the very first images was that the cross was still there, that they were able to save um, the, the crown of thorns, that, you know, that, that so much of the structure on the inside is not actually burned. And then the flying buttresses, which that's probably one of my favorite parts of the building, because that's what's so hard to actually build or create without cranes and all of our modern equipment. You know, this is, this is so long ago, it's really hard for us to understand the processes that they had to use to put this building together. And yet there it is. So I, I, I find it miraculous. I think it's very encouraging for us to see the fire, which hurts. It hurts to see the building burning and to think of everything that's being lost yet afterwards to see the cross. And it's just, it's just, it's amazing. Well, I think the other thing it shows is that when, when these, when this cathedral was built in the 1200s, um, they set out to make a monument to God that was going to last. And it certainly has, uh, it's now survived two world wars, the French revolution, um, various other fairly cataclysmic conflicts in between, and now a fire that by rights should have leveled the ground. And it's endured. It's a testament not just to, to the God in whose name it's built, but also to the, the people who put the absolute best that they could into creating something that would last for all time, and it seems to have done this. I know. That's pretty exciting. So um, let's talk a little bit about, I, I mentioned, because you had a bunch of links in, your, um, in, in the article that was sent to me so we could do the booking today. There were a bunch of links, and I've already been through one of them where I shared that there's... There's this history surrounding the cathedral there. And it's, it's again, it's so exciting to me um, that people are learning about it because, you know, there kind of would be no reason for people to learn about the cathedral. But now there is because of the fire. So people are learning about it. People are thinking about the possibility of getting to go there themselves one day. You know, it, maybe not, not anytime right away, but possibly going and visiting. And it might become 
a source of tourist revenue to have people coming and touring what parts they can while it is being repaired to help fund the the repairs of the building. But um, can you give us a little bit of, oh, oh no, we, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give you a chance to state whatever you would like. Cause I just remembered you're, you have a hard out like in like 30 seconds here. So whatever you'd like to share before you go on to your next interview. Oh, well, thank you very much. What I would say is that um, this cathedral really is it's the most recognizable um, or one of the most recognizable in the West we have for a reason, which is it's been the heart and soul of so much of what's happened in the West for the last several centuries. Um, I think one thing that this, this fire has done is it put us back in contact with the immediacy of our own cultural history and the importance of preserving it. Mm. So well stated. I agree. And I hope that people will continue to learn about it. Thank you so much for your time today. Ed Condon, editor of Catholic News Agency. I hope to speak to you again soon. Thank you so much. All right. So I'm, I was just about to launch into a whole nother spate of questions. And then I remembered he has a heart out because he has another interview that starts in two minutes. So I wanted to make sure and respect his time and get him out um, so he could do his next interview. Uh, I want to give you a little bit more. Um, it, the Holy See has called for prayer as Notre Dame burns. So that was yesterday. And they have a little historical piece about the history of Notre Dame's cathedral in Paris. And I gave you a little bit of that in the first segment. I just want to mention that I'm going to post these links on the page again not because I want to argue about Catholicism or any of that stuff, but because this is an opportunity to learn about a significant structure um, that, that, you know, hopefully will be repaired and we're going to see the fruit of that. Now we have some time left in this segment. I want to get back to our discussion on reparations. And this is, this is what, this is where the rubber meets the road. You're going to hear him talking about this. We have enough time to listen to it. And then call lines 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. And if you're wondering, if you don't get a chance to talk today, uh, we'll still take calls on this subject tomorrow during the show and kind of keep it going. Not because it's, my intent is not to divide us. It's to make sure that we're aware and fully capable of having this discussion because as we get further into the presidential um, run-up and the, the primary for the Democrats with 15 people in it, and half of them are talking about reparations, we will not be able to escape this discussion. So why not go into it calmly? Um, from a position of knowledge and not emotional based and be able to discuss it in ways that make sense so we can articulate our position. So here is Dr. McWhorter. It's number five. Now, besides the ethical problems with that that Glenn Lowry has identified, the question has to become this wealth goes into people's accounts. And let's say that that happens. And so there have been reparations and there's a ceremony and somebody cuts a ribbon and you know, there's some, you know, the, this, this festival and Mary J. Blige sings and you know, ex-president Obama comes and makes a speech and then he sings Amazing Grace again and it's happened and everybody gets up and Mitch McConnell even says, I'm sorry. After that <laughs> happened, I wonder, and this is something, I could get along with the idea that that would happen if the black intelligentsia and black political leaders and black community activists could say, after that happened, okay, we admit that we have really turned a corner. Now, that doesn't mean that they have to say that nothing else ever needs to happen, but they would have to say, wow, we have overcome. Now we've got some sweeping up to do, but Whitey is no longer on the hook. 
And Nick, my problem is that I don't think those people would say that. I think that the whole call for reparations is really based on emotion. It's based on a sense of identity. It's based on a sense of needing a psychological crutch because of the hole that Jim Crow and slavery and redlining left in our souls. And so I think that after the reparations happen, everybody would just be saying, the usual people, the, the people with three names, as I like to say on blogging heads, would say, okay, reparations was just a beginning. Upon which I'd be thinking, given that there already were reparations before, now there are these new ones and you're not happy? Or the smart take would instantly be, I think it's problematic for them to assume that they can just write a check and have it all be over. And everybody would snap their fingers. Yeah. Well, if that's the way it's going to be, why do it? And that's the question. Um, it's, so the only reason that many, many, and I, I'm talking about black people, Asians, uh, whites, people who are supporting um, reparations. The only reason that they're supporting it, many of them, is that they want to see an end to this discussion about America being this racist country. Not that we weren't racist in the past or that we didn't have slavery as the law of the land in the past, but that the current status of America is that of some racist apartheid country. They want that, 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 that characterization to go away. So they would support reparations because they think this will do it. The affirmative action didn't do it. The community reinvestment programs haven't done it. The billions upon billions of dollars of government-funded programs, that's not doing it. Having uh, President Bush apologized, or Clinton, Clinton, I think it was Clinton who apologized to America, that didn't do it. Having the first black president didn't do it. Oprah walks among us, that's not doing it. We've had the first black attorney general, first black secretary of state, you know, you name it, we've had it. We've had black astronauts, we've had black physicists, black people win the Nobel Peace Prize. Um, you know, that's, none of that does it. Kanye West is rich, he's black, he's married to people who aren't black. You know, they're making babies north, south, east, and west. N still not good enough. When you look at all the different things, you're like, there's gotta be something that'll do it. And what he just said there is actually a central tenet to Christianity. It's what we know about human beings, which is not only are we depraved and wicked, but we're never satisfied. There is only one thing that satisfies the human heart, and that is the Savior, Jesus Christ. Reparations aren't going to fill that hole in the hearts of those who have been redlined. Uh, reparations will not change the outlook of a person who feels they're less than because they're black. It will not change the heart of a person who's a racist and hates other people based on their skin or because they hate themselves. Reparations won't do it. The answer is always going to be Jesus Christ. So the question then becomes, why would we do it? And who would pay for it? Someone just asked me, would we pay for our own reparations if we got them? Because if it comes from taxpayer sources, we all pay into that. Would only white people be forced to pay? How would they choose which white people? These are the kind of questions that are a waste of our time. I'm still willing to talk about this, obviously. Next segment, perfect time, 866-963-2037. 866-963-2037. Be right back. This is Uncommon Moments. Here's former Super Bowl winning NFL coach Tony Dungy and his wife Lauren sharing from their book Uncommon Marriage. I'll be honest, sometimes I fight that tendency to allow my tongue to have its way. It's easy to say, oh, you're crazy, or that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Hurtful words can be painful, no matter who they come from. But when they come from your spouse, the person you love the most, they can hurt even more. And when they do, here's the key thing I want everyone to hear. 
I have to go to Lauren or the kids and say, I shouldn't have said that. I was wrong and I'm sorry. When you can acknowledge your failures, say you were wrong and apologize, that's the sign of a winner in my book. Tony and Lauren Dungy, authors of Uncommon Marriage, learning about lasting love and overcoming life's obstacles together. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. Pastor Joseph Parker. You know, obviously when things are going well, it's much easier to have an attitude of thanksgiving and praise to the Lord. But even when things are going difficult, it's important to know too, there's never a time it's inappropriate for us to thank and praise God. Now, some may ask, well, what about when you're going through difficult times, when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death? We can have two different responses. We can worship or we can whine. Tune in to the Hour of Intercession, weekday afternoons at 1 Central on Urban Family Talk. Abraham Hamilton III. God put us in this world at this time to be salt and light. We don't fold because of the darkness that we're facing. This is not the first time in the world's history that it's gotten dark. God has called you and I to be his ambassadors, even in this dark moment. Tune in to the Hamilton Quarter, weekdays at 5 p.m. Central on Urban Family Talk. This is Marnita from The Marnita Show with Parenting Points. Ready for promotion or not? As children grow and develop, be careful not to reward them with the blessing before they are mature enough to handle it. When they are ready for the next level in life, they will exhibit behavior that is indicative of next level living. For example, you don't go to college until you finish high school, right? Children want to test the waters of their next level before they can actually manage it. They don't know that they're not ready. When they ask for their car on Saturday night, but don't normally follow your clear, simple instructions, you can reasonably assume they have a plan B. Instead of bailing them out of trouble, wait until their behavior warrants a promotion. Be the rock that's not movable by their emotions. For more parenting, tune in to The Marnita Show, right here on your favorite station. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. The Born Alive Abortion Survivor Protection Act says that a baby who survives the abortion must receive immediate medical care and be admitted to a hospital. Do you believe that denying such care constitutes Look, you know, this, this issue has been brought up over and over again, and it's bogus in terms of how our Republican friends are interpreting this. Infanticide is against the law. And a woman has a right to decide what, her, what is her choice with her doctor before that moment, before the child is born. So this is all, this is all just, again, fear-mongering and falsification of what is actually happening. Infanticide is already illegal. Well, that's Chucky Schumer. And he's right, it's illegal, but it's no longer illegal in the state of New York. And if I'm not mistaken, isn't that where he's from? So what is he talking about? Like, I just don't, I don't get him, you know, kind of get, he was rearing up there a little bit. He, you know, he had his back up. He's like, well, it's already illegal, except in New York. So how about that? How about, how about you discuss that? How, or how are you okay with that? He's uncomfortable with it because he knows, uh, you know, had you asked him about this 20 years ago, he would have said no Democrat supports that. And now that they do, he has to adjust himself. 
And that's what's happening over on the left. They're running, trying to keep up with the march to the left, which has now become a full-blown sprint, single-payer, taking money from people who've already earned it under the guise of wealth redistribution, unwavering belief in climate change, regardless of what other scientists say. Well, you know, the idea that religious freedom hinges upon the sexual habits of certain Americans. These kinds of ideas are being trumpeted by the left. And they're... Elected officials are having to race to catch up with it. And I, I, you know, I got no problem with you. You believe what you want to believe, espouse what you want to espouse, but stop lying about it. Be open about your support of infanticide. Don't act like it's not something that's been trumpeted by Governor Ralph Northam. And he's still in office, completely untouched. He should have been drummed out of office by Christian Democrats. Yeah, I said it. Where are you? You have no compunction about this man sitting in office that you elected talking about laying a baby under a warming tray and the mother and the doctor deciding what to do with it. You have no compunction about that. Please don't think you're going to get away with silently condoning him being in office serving over you after he admitted that that's what he wants to do. You won't get away with it. None of us are going to get away with anything. Every single one of us will have to account for every moment, every word, every thought, every deed. Whatever doesn't fall under the blood, meaning it's been repented and turned away from, will have to be accounted for. And that guy, he's your guy. And you are condoning what he said. You're condoning what he wants to pass in Virginia. And those in New York, you are now a part of it because it it passed and you didn't revolt. You didn't do anything. You just sat back with your hands folded, with your lips pressed together. Well, we have to support Planned Parenthood. Good luck explaining that at the judgment seat. Good luck with it. So wrapping up our conversation about reparations, and I, you know, maybe, maybe you feel like I already did. I know it's a touchy subject with some people. My discussing it today on the show, we have to not be touchy about it, right? We, we have to not be on the right, the, the big stereotype about people on the right is whenever you say anything about race, people on the right get up in arms and they get all sensitive in their feelings. And they don't want to talk about it. And I don't think that's accurate for everyone. I, you know, it's obviously it's a stereotype, meaning rooted in some nugget of truth, but doesn't apply to everyone. But we have to be stronger than that. Um, first of all, race is a construct. We are all human beings and ethnic backgrounds are real, meaning you come from a specific area of the world or area of a country or area of a continent um, and you have certain characteristics. So in other words, you come from a certain tribe of humanity um, and that there are certain stereotypes that are applicable to certain tribes of humanity, but there are always cultures that can change the trajectory of any group of people. Look at people who come from one part of the world that's unsuccessful. They come to America and they become wildly successful. So it's when they adopt American cultural norms that they find their way to success. Also, being in a country that has a lot of freedom and liberty that's constitutionally protected means they don't have to worry about you know, offending this official or offending that official's child or running afoul of this one or that one by not paying them a bribe, which means they can, they're free to create and to do things. So all of that being said, the discussion around reparations doesn't have to be an emotional roller coaster or something that splits people apart. The questions that I would say I would love to have answered by anyone from Tanisi Coates to um, any of the Democratic candidates who are currently saying reparations, 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 who pays the reparations? How do you decide who gets 
the reparations. What happens after the reparations are paid? Are white Americans then free to go about living their lives or do they forever have to wear the stain of being white and that whites owned people in this country historically, you know, many, many, many moons ago? And does this satisfy the need for certain white liberals to feel superior to other white people because they advocate for these kinds of policies? Does everyone kind of reset and go back to ground zero? Those are genuine questions that you can ask someone who is saying they want reparations. You can also ask them, you know, if if you happen to be not permanently tan, meaning you tan some parts of the year, but you're not, you know, at this very moment coming out of winter, you'd have no tan. If you're in that situation, you could say to the person who, who might be permanently tanned, do you want the reparations to be paid from every white person or just those who can trace their lineage to slavery? That's a good question to ask. It not only will show you where that person's coming from, but it will also give you an opportunity to have a discussion about the fact that we have a very few people in this country who are directly descended from people who own slaves. So again, you know, you're trying to find that person's true north, whether they're advocating for it because they just want to punish white people or this is just another step in the cog of never-ending race division that will never be satisfied? Have, have you ever been in a situation like that with someone where you're genuinely trying to work through a problem and that person just will never be satisfied? And the further into it you get, you're making concessions, you're trying to, you know, you've apologized, you've made concessions, you're even willing to do some things to show you have a good faith effort in trying to fix the situation and they just keep piling on and then rewinding back to the moment where you made the mistake and saying, because, because you did so-and-so. If you've ever been in that, you realize at some point you're in a no-win situation. You'll never satisfy this person. They're like an empty pit. You can keep tossing gold coins and money and your time and your energy into it. You can throw yourself into it and you'll just keep falling forever because there's no bottom. The people who are espousing this need for reparations, in my opinion, are in that place because they cannot answer the question, will this be enough? They know if they say no, then most of us will say, well, then we don't want reparations. (laughs) I don't want people who are white to think that they owe me something when they've never owned slaves and I've never been a slave. And I don't want the division that comes along with it because we have such other huge problems to tackle. Imagine if liberals spent the same amount of time researching things that work for, let's say, inner cities and started implementing policies, regardless of where they came from, in inner cities to try to help people actually thrive, to help them flourish. Not government programs that say you come into this office once a month and we'll give you, we'll pay you, we'll put money on this card. No, not that stuff. The stuff that actually makes people more free. What if they did that instead of spending so much time and energy just wasting precious minutes, hours, and days on the discussion about reparations? You heard Dr. John McWhorter say he'd love to get a check for $50,000 for nothing but being black. (laughs) And when he said it, and I listened to it this morning, I actually laughed and I thought, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't love to get a check for 50 grand? And some math was out there can do the math. 38 to 40 million blacks, you know, let's say everybody who's black, just you're just black, you permanently tan, you get the check. And everybody, every one of them gets 50,000 bucks. It's a lot of money. Where does it come from? And then what about the other groups? 
I saw someone pointing out that the first slaves were actually the Irish and the Irish never received any reparations and they don't ask for them either. In fact, the Irish have just given us a great holiday, St. Patrick's Day, where most people who practice that holiday actually spend the time drinking and eating wings and enjoying themselves. And, you know, more power to you. I, I, I don't even care about people getting mad because I'm saying they're enjoying that holiday. But I, the point is, there are other groups who could say, well, you know what? Reparations bandwagon is pulling out. I think I'm going to jump on there. I think I'm going to hitch my trailer to that, that wagon and, and get on there because I want some reparations too. The taxpayers are the ones who will fund it. There's no magic, uh, you know, reparations daddy in the sky who's going to pour out money that doesn't come from American taxpayers. And then what do you do with the resentment and the anger that's going to come from that? People who had nothing to do with slavery paying for the sin of slavery to people who were not slaves. You know, whatever the, uh, the negative ramifications of redlining and uh, the subpar educational options and things that happened during um, the Jim Crow era and, and times in this country where Americans didn't treat their brethren the best. There are so many other people who have experienced negative ramifications from you name it on down the line. Um, but I, I guess that just negates the power of God in our lives, the power for us to be able to say, you know what? So I come from this background, but God says I have the mind of Christ and I can do all things through him. And I'm, I'm speaking particularly to our Christian audience. If we think that the fix is just a check from the government called reparations payment, then, I mean, what are we doing on Wednesday nights and Sundays at, in church? Or, or if you go on Saturday, what, what are you doing there? If the whole fix for everything that's wrong with black America is a check from the federal government, then why are so many of us going to church? Why are so many of us honestly seeking God's face for healing, for blessings, for anointing, for new ideas, for new opportunities, for all the different things that we pray for, for, for healing in our communities, for people to be brought to salvation, for kids who have you know ailments to be healed, all the things we're praying for. Why are we even doing that if all we need is a check from the government? And I know if you're listening to that, you might say, well, we could do both. You can pray to God and you can also get a check from the government for reparations. But then what? I don't see anything good coming out of it. And I also, I, I just look at lottery winners and some people might say that's not a good analogy, but look at how many, I mean, it's so easy to find. I remember the kids talking about the jackpot had gotten really huge here in Missouri. And um, the kids were like, mom, have you bought a ticket for that? Because you could win, you know? I was like, I don't, I don't play the lottery. And they're like, why? And I said, well, it's a game of chance. And the Bible tells us not to gamble. But even if you're, you don't believe that and it's lawful for you because you don't think that that's a sin for you. Um, look at what happens to people when they win the lottery. And so our son, you know, he pulls his iPad out, he pulls up lottery winners. And after a few clicks, he had stories. Some of them are just list form where it'll say the top 10 lottery winners in the year. So-and-so, where are they now? And eight out of 10, sometimes nine out of 10 of them are all broke or in a worse situation than they were before they won the lottery. And so you might say, well, what does that have to do with you? I, I'm not saying we would be in a worse situation, but the money doesn't bring joy to most of the people who win it. And if you're already poverty stricken and you get a check for 50 grand from the government, you don't have any money management skills, you're not going to have that 50 grand for very long. And then what? Reparations part two? Uh, you know, then it's some other reason why the government should be cutting checks to us. The sooner we're able to have 
cogent conversations with people who are seeking reparations and get them to understand that this that's just a it's like having a huge gash in your arm and putting a little bandaid over it. You don't need a bandaid. You need a surgeon who is skilled at stitching things shut, installing stitches and cleaning and debrading wounds to keep you from getting infected and prescribing antibiotics. You do not need a Band-Aid. That's what the reparations are like. It's like there's this huge gash and they're like, let us put a little, you know, we got these Band-Aids. They're pretty. They, they have um, Rugrats images on them. Some of them have SpongeBob. Let us put the, yeah, I know that, I know that wound looks huge, but just hold it together and we'll, we'll, one Band-Aid should do it. Not even close. Reparations will not solve what is aching within the hearts of people who are begging for it. And, so, and for some people, it's an ache, it's an empty hole. And for other people, it's anger, it's rage. They want to lash out at anybody to make those people responsible for their life situation. The only person who's responsible for the life situation you find yourself in is you. And that's hard to accept. It's hard to, to deal with. We all face it regularly. You make a mistake and you're like, man, how did I do that? And deep down, you're like, oh, this is so-and-so's fault. And then if you have any maturity, you, you, you deal with yourself and you say, actually, it's not that person's fault. It's my fault. I did this. I'm going to have to fix it. That is the conversation that we're going to have to start having with people, not out of anger, but out of a desire to get a true understanding of what people think is actually going to happen if the U.S. government gives out reparations. And the sooner we can get done with that, the sooner we can get back to discussing policy. And I know there are plenty of Democrats who will never discuss policy, and that's fine. I don't have time for those people. But there are those out there who really want to see some improvements and changes in the lives of Americans, and we can make that happen. Um, but it's just time for the grown-ups to start having these conversations. And I think Dr. John McWhorter, I disagree with him on a lot, but he really he articulated this well. I will post the link to the entire Reason interview on Facebook and YouTube and let you, you know, definitely take a look at it and see what you think. All right. Thanks for making your home at American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Be back with you tomorrow. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of Urban Family Talk, Urban Family Communications, or American Family Association.